On today's show, I share with you the keys to an effective bench in the NBA and why I feel the Sacramento Kings have the best second unit in the league. It's all right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time, time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all offseason long. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News. We now know the next time the Sacramento Kings will play basketball. Yes, the preseason schedule is out. I'll get to that a little bit later on in the show because we're going to talk about benches. We're going to talk about second units. And while some of you might be a little disappointed at the offseason that the Kings had, really the additions that the Kings have made in addition to bolstering the longevity of their core, they've been moves on the edges, right? Moves to that second unit. Moves to the Sacramento Kings depth to help add to fill in maybe those cracks or support the Kings core as best as possible. We believe the starting five is going to be the exact same, right? Fox, Sabonis, Keegan Murray, Harrison Barnes, and Kevin Herter. I'd be surprised to see that change. And three out of the five main ba- main bench guys are also going to be the same. I'm talking about Malik Monk, uh, Davion Mitchell, and Trey Lyles. But there's two new names that the Kings have added that I expect to be firmly in the bench unit, as well as one or two guys in that, that two-way spot slash depth spot. We'll go through all of that Uh, in a little bit, but I have identified four essential traits to a great bench in the NBA, and Sacramento fills all these four traits, I feel, better than any other team in the league. Now, I'm going to go through some of the best benches in the league in addition to the Sacramento Kings. We'll talk about them and how the Kings stack up with them, and the two teams that I think rival the Kings the best for top bench or top second unit, most depth in the league, also happen to be teams in the Pacific Division. Again, we will get to that. But what are those four keys that are, are, are necessary or essential to a great bench in the NBA? Those keys are as follows. Number one, continuation. This is kind of self-explanatory. You want your bench to continue where your starters left off. Or sometimes you want them to get you back on track if things haven't started out great for you. Or if your starters go through a stretch where maybe they struggle a little bit. Even if you're the best team in the world with the best players in the world, you're going to be on the wrong side of a run from time to time. And while you, while, while these players, De'Aaron Fox, DeMonte Sabonis, Harrison Barr, these, these starters are capable of playing 48 minutes when they have to, over the course of an 82-game season plus playoff series, and if you're a team like the Kings want to be, which is making it all the way into June because you're playing in the NBA Finals, playing your guys 48 minutes a night is not exactly the, uh, the, the best recipe for success. So in those 10 to 15 minutes a night where you're resting those top guys, you need your bench to continue what those guys do well. That actually ties really, really well into the second essential trait uh, or key Uh, to having a a good bench in the NBA. That's being adaptable. You need guys that will come in and will fill whatever role is necessary at that point in time. That's why the starters are looked at at as a unit, right? And especially here in Sacramento, you do hear the term bench unit, which is 
if you're thinking like a hockey rotation, five guys that come in off the bench and replace the five starters so they can get a breath. But in reality, with most basketball rotations, you see it, see it staggered. And we see it staggered a ton here in Mike Brown's rotation in Sacramento. Hell, De'Aaron Fox is usually the first player subbed out of the game. That's your best player, and you're taking him out of the game first. There's two reasons for that. One, because the Kings are trying to uh, maximize the opportunities when he's on the floor, his pairings with, uh, with other players, and save him, keep him as fresh as possible for those excellent fourth quarters that he had. But also... Mike Brown is capable of doing that because he has guys in the second unit that he can plug and play in those situations where, hey, De'Aaron's coming out. I feel okay with Malik Monk stepping in at this part, uh, this point and running the offense. I feel okay with Davion Mitchell stepping in this point uh, to, to establish the Sacramento Kings defense a little bit more. Like, you need an adaptable, almost like a utility lineup in baseball, right? You need five or six guys. Now, all of them are going to play, but depending upon the situations, you can kind of pluck them and move them in. Now, Terrence Davis is another good example of that. He's no longer on the Sacramento Kings. I don't, I don't think he's signed still, which is pretty crazy to me. Um, I don't expect the, uh, Terrence Davis to, to get picked up by the Kings at this point. I think that ship has sailed. But Terrence Davis was someone, excuse me, at times that Mike Brown would go to when he needed some offense. He needed a bucket. He needed that energy in terms of like a microwave score. Terrence Davis was that guy. You need to be adaptable if you're a good second unit. You need to be able to come in and react to the game, not just how it's being played at the time, but how it's been played up to that point, even if you've had absolutely no part in it. You're sitting on the bench, you're watching the first six, seven minutes, maybe your team's off to a rough start, your game plan is kind of being switched a little bit, you're expected to go in there and now execute on that new game plan. And speaking of game plan, you also have to be able to be a group that is comfortable maintaining what your team does over the course of the entire game, right? You want your team, you want your bench unit to be able to play the same style of basketball that your starters play. Like that's essential. You can't have one starting unit and one bench unit that both play completely different brands of basketball. Let me give you an example of that. Corey Joseph. I was a big fan of Kojo. I liked Kojo a lot. Really enjoyed covering Corey Joseph in his time here in Sacramento. A lot of Kings fans I know didn't like Kojo too much. And a lot of that had to do with the drastic differences in styles between Kojo as a point guard and De'Aaron Fox as a point guard, right? Younger De'Aaron, still De'Aaron now. Getting up and down the floor as fast as possible. Attacking the basket. Speed. Aggressiveness. Kojo. More of kind of a slow dribble the ball up the floor. Half court style offensive floor general. So those were two contrasting styles, and we saw, remember when De'Aaron Fox got hurt and Kojo stepped into that starting spot, I thought Kojo did an actually a pretty good job a couple of seasons ago, but the Kings changed the way they played. They became more of a half-court offensive team, and at that time, that did not really work for the Kings. So you can't have that. You need to have a, un a second unit that is adaptable, but also capable of carrying out your overall game plan, executing on the same overall game plan as the starters that uh, they're playing with. Number three, this one's pretty easy, spark. You need a spark from that second unit. That even ties in with number four, spark and energy. You can kind of say that the same thing. I separate them into, into two different uh, categories. Spark to me is coming into a game and reigniting something or continuing something, right? Let's say the Kings are off to a slow start. De'Aaron Fox comes out of the game. Harrison Barnes comes out of the game. Uh, and, and the Kings bring in Sasha Vizenkov and Malik Monk, 
Well, Malik is really good at this. Here comes that spark off the bench. The Kings rally a little bit. They start to push the ball more. Uh, Malik Monk throws a, a pretty sweet one of his slinging bounce passes to a, a corner three from Sasha Vezinkov that cuts a eight-point Kings deficit now down to five and gets the crowd a little bit more involved. That is a spark, an instant change in momentum that a second unit can provide. Or maybe the Sacramento Kings are off to a really good start. Let's say they built a six, seven, eight-point lead early on in a game. A spark can be the Kings came out with a lot of energy over that six to seven minutes. They started to settle in a little bit. Again, here comes Malik Monk, or here comes Davion Mitchell, or here comes Chris Duarte off the bench, and the energy immediately picks right back up, right? The Kings rally again and are getting right back into uh, their offense and continuing to step on the gas pedal and try and build upon the lead that they established for themselves early on. Spark is different from energy because energy is what gets you through all 48 minutes, right? We would love to see guys, the top guys in the, in, in the league, play 48 minutes a night. But with the exception of those first six or so minutes of the game when you're feeding off the crowd, feeding off of introductions, tip-off, you're as fresh as you can be before the game starts, and then, of course, the final six to eight minutes of the game where every possession matters, everything's under a microscope, you get into clutch time, and a game is going to be won or lost in these final few minutes. Those, like, those scripts write themselves. We know the energy there. You don't have to add any energy to that. It's getting in between those, right? It's the second and third quarters. It's the late first quarter, early fourth quarter. Benches provide that energy that just gets you through those 10 to 15 minutes when your starters aren't playing and those lulls in the game that are still very important. The games can still be won or lost in those moments, but those are typically moments where you have to dig a little bit deeper and pull a little bit more out of yourself. You can't just settle into maybe lazy defense or just chucking up a shot early in the shot clock because you're a bit tired. No, you need to get yourself through that, get yourself through those lulls, those valleys, as opposed to the peaks as the start and the end of the game. Those valleys, you need energy to get you through, and a lot of that energy comes from your second unit. So those four keys, con uh, contribution, or rather continuation, being adaptable, spark, and energy. And again, I think the Sacramento Kings bench does that better, and this Sacramento Kings bench will continue to do that better than any other team in the league. You look at the main five bench unit, to me it's Davion Mitchell, Malik Monk, Chris Duarte, Sasha Vizenkov, and Trey Lyles. Chris Duarte, arguably, being the 10th man in that rotation. Then you have like the third string guys, which are the rookie, uh, Colby Jones, Kessler Edwards, Alex Lynn, Nerlens Noel if he makes a team. And then you have your two-way guys, uh, Keon Ellis and, and Jalen Slauson. You're not expecting too much now, uh, too much out of those third string guys necessarily, but they can also be plug and play in certain scenarios uh, when you need them. But mainly we're talking about the, the bench unit is those next five guys. And they might not always play. Not every team has a 10-man rotation. I think a 10-man rotation, 9 to 10-man, is the most ideal. And that's what I think uh, Mike Brown and a lot of head coaches are looking for. But you don't always necessarily have that. I think this Kings team has that. And at times, Mike might want to explore going 11 deep if he needs to. I think 12 would be a little bit too much. So we're going to look at the five or so bench players on teams around the league and see how they stack up and how they compare to the Sacramento Kings bench and why I believe the Kings bench is the best in the league. Let's start with the Atlanta Hawks. I think this is a really good bench unit. They have Patty Mills, Bogdan Bogdanovich, former Sacramento King, A.J. Griffin, Jalen Johnson, and Onyeka Okongwu. That's a good bench five. 
Now, I was stacked up against the Sacramento Kings 5. I mean, I, I'm, I'm definitely uh, taking the Kings 5 over that. I mean, when it comes to Davion Mitchell, you know the defense that he provides. I think there's still more to his offensive game that he has yet uh, to, to reveal and tap into. And going into his third year in the league, this is really that time where you'd hope to start to see him figure that out. And then on the defensive end of the floor, Davion Mitchell is, is capable of being an all-NBA defender. He just needs the playing time to be able to do that. Davion Mitchell can be one of the best, if not the best, on-ball defender in the league. In fact, some people already believe he is that, and not just members of his, uh, not just his teammates, members of his team here in, in Sacramento. There are others that do believe that. Then you have Malik Monk, who I think is going to be in the running for sixth man of the year this year, is a spark plug, arguably a top three, top four player on this Kings team, period. Then you have Chris Duarte, like I mentioned, is, is probably the 10th man in this rotation. But he's a 3 and D wing, and you can never get enough of that. Someone defensively who's not going to be excellent, right? Not really going to shut guys down, but should help improve the Kings' overall team defense. And his three-point shot definitely needs to improve. You're hoping to get more of like the rookie Chris Duarte numbers as opposed to last year's Chris Duarte struggles with the injury that he dealt with. But if you can get Duarte to be in those 36, 37, 38, 39% from three-point range coming in off the bench. You have a really effective weapon there. You have the freaking reigning EuroLeague MVP and Sasha Vizenkov who's coming over. And even though he hasn't played a second of NBA basketball yet, you look at the amount of players that have translated from Europe who are now literally the best players in the league. One could argue the top four players in the league today are all European or come from uh, international backgrounds. Luka Doncic, I'm not saying he's the best. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, who probably is the best right now, or at least should be looked at as the best right now because his team just won the championship. Like, Sasha Vizenkov should not be dismissed just because he's coming over uh, from Europe and hasn't played a single second in the NBA yet. I don't expect him to be an MVP caliber player in the NBA, don't get me wrong, but to have that weapon off of your bench with his, with his catch and shoot and how well he should be able to fit into the Kings offense, that should be feared. And then you have Trey Lyles playing kind of that small ball five. But Trey Lyles proved last year that in terms of his role, spacing the floor, grabbing rebounds, at times attacking the basket, Trey Lyles is perfect for what the Sacramento Kings need in their second unit. So when we're looking at these other teams in their second units, we're stacking them up against those five that I just mentioned and how those five fit in to those four keys off the bench. So I'm putting the Kings bench over the Hawks bench. The Chicago Bulls bench, I think, is intriguing. You have Javon Carter, Kobe White, who is a, a really good player and has killed the Kings in the past. Alex Caruso, also a really uh, another really solid player. Torrey Craig and Andre Drummond. A bit older there at the end, but solid guys that uh, that I think will help the Chicago Bulls win games. All the Bulls are kind of in a weird spot right now, but I would absolutely take the Kings bench over them. The Cleveland Cavaliers bench is interesting too. You have Ricky Rubio, Max Struess, uh, Karis LeVert, Georges Niang, and uh, Damian Jones former Sacramento King Damian Jones. Another solid backup uh, unit there. Again, I'd take the Kings over them. You have the New York Knicks. Miles McBride, Emmanuel Quickly, Dante DiVincenzo, Josh Hart, Isaiah Hartenstein, and you could even add, if you want to, uh, Evan Fournier uh, into that group. Another really good second unit there in New York. I'm absolutely taking the Sacramento Kings over them. The Orlando Magic, Markel Fultz, Jalen Suggs, Joe Ingles, Jonathan Isaac, and Goga. Like, you have a good group there. And I think one of the things we need to... Uh, separate here and we can do the same thing with the Portland Trailblazers second unit is 
upside players versus win now players. Maybe even the Houston Rockets could work themselves uh, into this, this conversation too, because there are benches in the Western Conference in particular, and some benches in the East, like I mentioned with the Orlando Magic bench, that are full of potentially really good up-and-coming players, right? Players that could be starters tomorrow, could be really, really good tomorrow. Players with high upside, higher draft picks. While that's exciting, while that's enticing, and that could result in a really, really good bench for that particular team, when you're looking at a bench unit, especially for a situation that the Sacramento Kings are in, and when we're looking at it for this season, the idea is to be as effective and, as, and, and to win basketball games right now and have the bench that is most capable of helping you win games right now. So as impressive as some of the names are on that Magic bench, or as impressive as some of the names are on this Blazers bench, Shaden Sharp, Anthony Simons, Matisse Thybul, Chris Murray, like those names are exciting, they're enticing, but in terms of winning basketball games right now, I'm taking the Sacramento Kings bench over them. Now I mentioned two teams that I think are the closest rivals to the Kings in terms of depth, best benches in the league, Teams that check those four boxes. I do believe the Kings have better benches, uh, have a better bench and second unit overall than these two teams, but you can make an argument for both being better than the Kings that you could, I would certainly listen to. I think it's very close. And both of them happen to be in the Pacific Division. The first one, not going to surprise you, the Golden State Warriors. One of them, Corey Joseph. Just talked about him a little bit, kind of on the older side, but they have Gary Payton the second, who went healthy. We know how dynamic of a defender uh, that he is. Jonathan Kaminga, who many believe should be getting more of an opportunity uh, in, uh, in Golden State. He's really that, I guess, six-man role as Jonathan Kaminga. Dario Saric, really solid player. And then at the end of this is, is a big question mark because is Chris Paul starting? Is Draymond Green starting? I assume Draymond is. So if Chris Paul is being moved into the starting lineup, who's being moved out? Is that Kavon Looney? I don't think so. If Chris Paul's not starting, then Chris Paul's part of that second unit. So if you have a second unit that either has CP3 or Kavon Looney, that's pretty dang good. Not to mention Moses Moody, who I don't think would be considered in that next tier five, and he's a really solid player. So I know a, Golden, a lot of Golden State Warriors fans, and you might be one of them, saying, there's no way the Kings have a better bench than the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors have a lot of really, really solid names. But in terms of cohesion, in terms of continuing where their starters leave off, in terms of playing well and, and again, fitting those four uh, tier or four, four uh, traits of uh, continuation, spark, energy, being adaptable, I feel like the Sacramento Kings bench uh, is significantly better or maybe slightly better. Then you have the Los Angeles Lakers. They've really bolstered that second unit. They completely different team from before uh, the, the trade deadline. Credit to the Los Angeles Lakers. It helps that they're in L.A., that they're able to get away with stuff like this, and I don't know why opposing GMs seem to help them as much as they do, but alas, here we are. The Los Angeles Lakers just added Gabe Vincent. That hurts my heart because he's a Stockton native. Really enjoy watching him play. Well, now he's wearing Laker yellow, so he's an enemy. Really, really solid player. We saw how good he was for the Heat in the playoffs and during the finals. Cam Reddish, a player that I know a lot of Sacramento Kings fans have had their eyes on for a while. I think Cam Reddish gets a bit of a bad rap. I also think Cam Reddish has underperformed compared to his upside. I don't know if the Lakers are going to give him the leash or the time necessary to truly figure that out, but he's a good player. Tarion Prince, solid defensive player, solid wing, good name. Rui Hachimura had that really good game. I can't remember what it was 
I guess, was it against the Warriors? He had that really, really good, like, game one or game two or something like that, but really solid uh, rotation player. And then Jackson Hayes, kind of the weakest player of that uh, of, of that bench unit, but a lot of really solid players for that Lakers second unit as well. A lot of new faces, though, too. And what is the, what can this bench carry on and continue playing Laker basketball to the, well, not certainly not to the level of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but how does this team, unless you're doing some heavy staggering in LA, which you might have to do, how does this team carry out the way the Los Angeles Lakers want to play basketball for all 48 minutes? Again, I think it's close. I think the Lakers bench, the Warriors bench, and the Kings bench, those are your top three benches in the NBA. But if I could pick any one of those three benches to have here in Sacramento right now that I think helps the Kings win right now, I'm taking the Kings bench that they currently have. How do you feel about that? Am I alone here, or do you agree with me? Let me know, at MattGeorgeSack on Twitter. Email me, MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com. And if you're watching on YouTube, leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. Today's episode of the Locked On Kings podcast is brought to you by Ibotta. If you're finally taking that vacation that you've been planning forever, first off, congratulations, have a great time. But, you know, sometimes we need to get all those necessities, and it can add on, be a little more expensive than what we thought initially after buying flight tickets and all the major things needed uh, for that vacation. Well, if you're going out and buying those necessities with Ibotta, you can get free cash back buying those because... If you're getting groceries, if you're getting back-to-school shopping items, whatever it may be, Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce uh, to personal care to stuff for your pantry. So you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. You can either link your loyalty account or just simply upload your receipt after you shop and get cash back. It's truly that easy, and there's no catch. The average Ibotta user earns $120 per year. That could cover part of your vacation that could cover a, a plane ticket or two even uh, depending upon where you're flying other apps will give you like cash back or points towards specific stores ibotta gives you pure cash to use just like you would other cash wherever you want whenever you want you can even use it on hundreds of online brands and retailers like lowe's macy's sephora best buy and more right now ibotta is offering our listeners five dollars for just trying ibotta and using code locked when you register, just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code LOCKED. The Sacramento Kings preseason schedule is out. Hooray! We're one step closer to the regular season schedule being out. And at least we know when we will be watching some semblance of Sacramento Kings basketball again. Technically, it's the Kings organization, the Kings logo, the Kings uniforms. Kings basketball returns in Canada on Sunday, October 8th in Vancouver, Canada, actually, as part of the NBA Canada series on Sunday, October 8th. The Sacramento Kings will be taking on the Toronto Raptors. Then they go and take on the Los Angeles Lakers in Southern California, but not in LA. Technically, they're playing in Anaheim on Wednesday, October 11th. Then we get a little mini playoff rematch. Two games for the Kings and the Golden State Warriors, preseason games against one another. Game three, Sunday, October 15th, will be here in Sacramento inside the Golden One Center. That game is the only one out of the five that will be locally televised, although I think every single game is going to be available to watch and stream uh, on kings.com. But the Kings will play the Warriors in Sacramento on Sunday, October 15th. 
Then they will play the Warriors again in, uh, in San Francisco on Wednesday, October 18th. And finally, they will wrap up their preseason against the Utah Jazz here in Sacramento on Thursday, October 19th. So I got a couple problems. I got, I got a couple questions or, or issues with this preseason schedule. Not that it matters that much. This is more just sour grapes because I hate preseason. I'm not a fan of preseason. Right now, the NFL Hall of Fame game is on. And I look forward to the Hall of Fame game every year, truly. I get very excited about it. It's like, yes, football is back. It's great to have football on your TV. I mean, it's a big weekend. It's fun. It's the unofficial kickoff to football season. Hooray! And then they start playing football, and you're like, this sucks. Thankfully, the NBA preseason is a lot better than preseason football. But both just drag on and on and on. So here are some of my gripes with preseason in the NBA this year. Number one, why are there five games? I don't know if that's normal or not. I honestly can't remember. Five games is way too much preseason basketball. You only need three. Truthfully, you only need three. Get yourself back in shape. Instead of playing preseason games, use that time with longer training camps or more practice time. Use it there. In, in-house scrimmages, behind closed doors. I don't care. I don't need to watch five preseason games. It does nothing for me. So I'm not necessarily interested in five preseason games. Again, it could be three. I'd be just fine with that. And I'm not saying this is preseason's fault, although I feel like it is or I need something to blame, so I'm going to blame preseason. The fact that we're still watching preseason basketball on October 19th, the start of the regular season has been pushed back a, a little, like around a week or something like that. Why are you doing that to me? Why? Why, must you, why are you making me wait longer? October 19th, Thursday, October 19th, I should be getting ready for regular season basketball. Regular season basketball should be like right around the corner. I'm talking like that night or the next night or the night after the regular season should be giving, get, should be beginning. Don't make me wait until that close to Halloween. I don't want to have to deal with my kid's Halloween costume and also how excited I am for the Kings home opener or the first game of the season. Why are you making me wait that long? And finally, who in the hell thought that a double header was a good idea in preseason? Wednesday, October 18th, Kings at Warriors. Thursday, October 19th, Kings versus Jazz in Sacramento. Now, I know it's just a bus ride in between the two, but why are we doing doubleheaders in preseason? Like, I tell you what, game five in Sacramento against the Utah Jazz is about to suck for whoever buys tickets to that game. Why? Because one, it's the final preseason game, so starters aren't going to play much anyways. But two, if the starters are playing in game two of the, or, or, or game four of the Kings and Warriors in Golden State that night, uh, the night before that, I don't want my starters playing in a back-to-back -back before the season starts. I don't want De'Aaron Fox to touch the floor in both of those games. Pick one. You're playing in just one of them. Demonis Sabonis, pick one. I think game four and game five, you're going to see a lot of like guys that are going to be playing in the G League. You're going to see a lot of that bench unit and those third-string guys that we've been talking about earlier on in the show. Why? Who decided a preseason doubleheader was a good idea? Bad. Bad, bad, bad. All right. I'm complaining about the preseason. I'll never say anything positive about the preseason other than the fact that we at least know when Kings basketball is returning. And, of course, when the uh, NBA regular season schedule drops, we will discuss it here and have a whole schedule release show right here on the Locked on Kings podcast. We can overanalyze that. That will be a little bit more fun. Uh, as for the preseason schedule, I mean, it's good to know that I'll be watching Kings basketball on Sunday, October 8th. I'll be very excited. And then the game will start, and I'll go, oh, that's right. This is, this is preseason basketball. Just the way it is. I'm an impatient person. Truth be told, I am less patient now 
that I know the preseason schedule than I was beforehand. So thanks, NBA. Thanks a lot. On tomorrow's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast, for the first time ever, Tristy Rodriguez will be joining me here on the show. Tristy Rodriguez covers the Sacramento Kings uh, for NBC Sports, California, Bay Area. It's the flagship television broadcast studios for Sacramento Kings basketball. Tristy, I believe, started covering the Sacramento Kings. Last year was her first full season for sure. I'm pretty sure. I have to double check that with her, and I, I feel bad if I think she might have been here for a partial season the season before. But either way, last season, I at least got to know Tristy a little bit. Very excited to have her here on the Locked on Kings podcast. We're going to touch, uh, touch on and talk about uh, a lot of different Kings topics, kind of get her her thoughts on how, she, how good she feels this Kings team is going to be, things she's maybe concerned about, how confident she is in the team's ability to build upon the great season that they had last year. And if you have uh, any thoughts or uh, any questions that you would like to hear, uh, Tristy and I discuss. Feel free to send that to me. Uh, you can do so on Twitter at MattGeorgeSack. Email me MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com or leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. And while you are at it, again, share your thoughts on the, uh, the, the, the second unit or depth debate in the NBA. I truly believe the Kings are going to establish themselves as the best, if not top three, best bench unit in the league. And I think the bench unit is going to be a major strength of the Sacramento Kings. You know, we, we hear a lot about, man, the Kings were so lucky with how healthy they were able to stay last season. That's true. They, they were the most healthy team by a wide margin. But the Kings have also put themselves in a position with the depth on this roster that in the event that that luck doesn't hold, in the event that they lose a guy or two for a period of time, I think the second unit is more than capable of overcoming that. Now, given context, right, if the Aaron Fox goes down... This is glass. I don't have enough wood around me. I guess there you go. If if De'Aaron Fox goes down or Demontis Sabonis goes down for an extended period of time, when any best team loses their best player or players for an extended period of time, it's hard for anybody to overcome that. But little bumps and bruises and nicks and things that happen over the course of the regular season. If De'Aaron Fox hurts his finger again, has to miss a handful of games, or Sabonis has to actually you know take some time off when he when he breaks his hand or takes one of the, the million elbows to the face that he takes on a night, nightly basis. I think the Kings have the depth that are, they're capable of overcoming that, which is something that really works uh, to the advantage of this team. Plus, I think that depth can be a real weapon come playoff time uh, when fatigue really starts to, to set in. So we'll have to wait and see. But I really like the depth of this Kings team. I think Monty McNair has done an excellent job, and I'm hoping to be proved right with how well this second unit plays next season. Can't wait to have you join me on the next episode of Locked on Kings. Thanks always uh, for your support for this episode and past episodes. We're going to get through this offseason together. If you're new to the Locked on Kings podcast, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, if you could leave a review of the podcast, that would mean the world to me. If you could go with our Apple podcast and uh, it's Apple Podcasts or formerly iTunes. It might still be iTunes. Um, you can uh, leave a review there, hit five stars, leave a little custom review of why you like the podcast, why you'd encourage others to listen, even constructive criticism. If you have it, feel free to put it there. My Spotify listeners, there's no custom blurb, but you can still hit five stars, and that helps us out a ton there. And then YouTube watchers, subscribe, hit the notification bell, comment, and get involved in the conversation down below. And, of course, distribute this podcast to any Kings fans, non-Kings fans, basketball fans, your grandma, it doesn't matter. Matter, send this podcast out again that helps us out a ton thank you so much you've been listening to the locked on kings podcast part of the locked on podcast network